0: The series that we're doing just now is titled When Prayers Are Not Working. By not working, I mean when we are not getting the response from God that we want, when we're not getting the response from God in the way that we want, when we want. Prayer is vital, and we believe that it matters and that it makes a real difference. It's not some kind of religious version of crossing your fingers, which doesn't actually achieve anything, except maybe giving you stiff or sore fingers. It doesn't do anything, but sometimes I fear we look at prayer the same way. We just say the prayer. We don't look for anything to happen. We don't expect anything to happen, but that's not right. We should. But then having said, yes, we should expect something to happen because we pray, what happens when it doesn't? Because we've had that experience, all of us have had that experience of praying for something and it doesn't happen when we want, in the way that we want. And there's a danger of trying to cover that kind of stuff up. There's a danger that if we look Full in the face at the issue of unanswered prayer, we're somehow letting the side down, we're letting God down. We shouldn't mention it, that it didn't happen. We shouldn't mention it, that it's not work. Just carry on. Or maybe we don't like to admit to ourselves that we've put our eggs in the wrong basket. And this following Jesus business is not all that it's cracked up to be and not all that we thought it was, was. These these are real and, and serious issues and questions. And what might be surprising to some folk is that the Bible is a lot more honest about that and a lot more open about those struggles than we in church often are. The Bible is remarkably open and honest about that kind of struggling. The scriptures do not seem to have the same cloak of respectable decency that has stopped us in church probing, seeking, arguing, screaming at God. Now in this series, we're following an outline in Pete Gregg's book, God on Mute, and we've been selling the book through the, the, the book stall, and if you want to find out more about that, see the folks at the bookstall after the service, and we've been following that in the video course that goes with it. And in our small groups and focus groups meeting, we're trying to help one another honestly wrestle with some of these issues and questions, because they're real. Not because there's any easy or right or quick answers, not because there's a smart solution, but every follower of Jesus is in the place of, on the one hand, being blessed by God, and on the other hand, still facing challenges, challenges with ourselves, challenges from folks in the the world around us, attacks from Satan. Satan. There are seasons when we're enormously blessed and encouraged, and other seasons when we're brought face to face with hurts and sin and loss. And if our faith means anything at all, then it has to mean something in each and every occasion of life because the, the claim of the gospel is that it's, God is all, for all of life. God is the God of all of life. And so faith is not just something that exists when we're together on a, on a Sunday or any other day of the week. Think, faith is not just something that's to be there when we are feeling good, and it's not just something to be there when we're feeling bad. It's, it's to be an all of life. It's an all of life thing. Now, last week, we looked at the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, which tells of the prophet kind of wrestling with God, trying to make sense of what was going on in his world. Now, not only did Habakkuk tell God what he was feeling, but he also listened for God's reply. We see Habakkuk then saying to the Lord, why are these evil people triumphing? Why is it so bad for the people of God? And he then gets God's reply because he's listened. And I want to say that about prayer. It's not just what you see. Prayer is also what you listen for. If prayer is communication, then then it's at least two-way. Communication is at least two-way. And God will speak. God will make himself known to those who wait on him. Which of you, when you could go and have an appointment at the doctor's, do you remember those days? <laughs> days when you were able to get an appointment at the surgery. Which of you would go into the doctor's uh, and, and, and into the doctor's room and, and sit down and then say, "Well, here's, here's, what's, here's why I'm here. You know, I've got this, and that's been hurting, and such and such and such and such." Thank you very much. Get up and leave. Would any of you have done that before the doctor had a chance to reply? I don't think so. I don't think you'd have done that. But so, sometimes that's how we treat God. That's how we treat prayers. God, do this. God, do that. God, here's how I'm feeling. Amen. And then we're on to the next, whatever's the next thing in life. Prayer is, is spending time in the presence of God. And, and so it And if we're ever going to get answers about why prayers are not working, if we're ever going to get answers about the, the struggles and stuff of faith, we have to sit in the presence of God, and allow Him to, to help us, to, to, to show us, to direct us, and guide us. That's crucial. And in today's reading that Eleanor read for us, the big issue for Jesus is whether or not he has to go through with the crucifixion. There he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's wondering, isn't there another way? Seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Because Jesus knew that the cross was ahead ahead of him. But. Hey, yeah, we know that experience, don't we? You know something's coming up. You know that something's ahead. But when it gets to the day itself, you get a bit scared of it, a bit fearful. Sometimes there's even things like that that we've... I'm going to do such and such. And it's coming up a week and Thursday. And then when a week and Thursday comes, we find an excuse not to do it. We've, we've all been there. have been at that kind of stuff. Just... So, yes, Jesus knew that the cross was, was ahead, but here he was right at the doorstep, right on the threshold. And not only would it have been a strange experience for Jesus at this point, it, it must have been a strange experience for his disciples. They were used to Jesus being in control, weren't they? There's a storm at sea, no problem. All these thousands of people there don't have anything to eat. Well, we'll see what we can do about it. You know, they were used to Jesus um, being in control. They were used to Jesus managing. And now they see him distraught. Now they see him, what does it say, deeply distressed and troubled, verse 33. There they, now they see him, verse 34, overwhelmed with sorrow. The one who wasn't scared in the boat. The one who... Manage to feed all these people and, and so on. It's challenging, is it not? It's disorienting, is it not? It's disappointing when someone we've looked up to doesn't seem to manage anymore. So disorientating for them and disorientating for Jesus himself. Yes, he had set out from Galilee to go to Jerusalem. Jesus, knowing this what was coming... So back in Mark chapter 10, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And again he took the twelve aside, again, and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. That's back in chapter 10. And here in chapter 14, further on, we have that very same Jesus saying, Is there another way? Can we do it differently, please? He prays, Abba, a title of closeness and intimacy with his heavenly Father, and he agrees, verse 36, that ultimately it's the Father's will that's to be done. But three times he asks for another way. It was something he knew was had to happen, but it was a struggle to go through with it. And questions about whether or not he might make it out the other side were, were piling upon him. Now, this Jesus asking for another way is not some kind of blemish. It's not suddenly as though Jesus has become not macho enough. Rather, it's his close walk with the Father that he's aware of. And nothing could be worse than being cut off from God as the penalty of the world's sin was going to be piled on its shoulders. He was going to lose an intimacy that was part of everything he was, all that he knew. And so it was his righteousness, his holiness that said that's intolerable. I don't know exactly why he asked three times. Is it a contrast to the three denials that Peter was about to make? Or simply is it underlining for us, this was a struggle, that hanging on to the will of God, seeking the will of God, being obedient when it hurts is no simple and straightforward thing. And the prayer that guides, that supports, that enables such obedience in these dire straits, is not just trite, reeling off of some simple words. He struggled with it again and again. And at that moment of great intimacy, in that moment of the Abba Father, the answer is no. Can we do it differently? Can we do it another way? No. No. Not because the Father doesn't love him. Not because there's not to be a way out. So Jesus, in the confession, your will be done, realizes that he is setting himself on the way to a time of God-forsakenness on the cross. Yes, he is the Son of God, fully divine, but also fully human, one of us. And here we see him in Gethsemane kind of hanging on to his role as a saviour by his fingertips, as it were. Doing the will of God, being in the will of God, does not always mean being in the place of ease, being in the place of peaceful happiness. Is Jesus in Gethsemane Obeying God? Yes, he is. Is Jesus in Gethsemane, in the purposes and in the will of God? Yes, he is. Is it easy? No, it's not. And there would be this question of, how are we going to get through this? Is this this really doable? Are we going to manage? Father, I'm not sure. And Jesus stays in the presence of God until he realizes that there is no other way and that he was to go through with this crucifixion. And it couldn't even be rushed through. There were no corners to cut, just jump up on the cross right away and get it over with. No, that needed to be the betrayal, the Jewish trial before the high priest, the questioning before Pilate and before Herod. The beatings, the crowd choosing Barabbas rather than Jesus, and the agonizing hours on the cross. No wonder Jesus was struggling to see how he was going to get through all of that. And no wonder he wanted the disciples with him for support and encouragement. Stay here and keep watch, he said. Immediately before this passage that Eleanor read this morning, immediately before that, is Jesus' predictions of Peter's three denials. Immediately after the passage comes the betrayal by Judas and Jesus' arrest. And the whole episode invites us to stop and ask where we belong in the story, Are we like the disciples, full of bluster one minute, then sleepy instead of serving and then running off? Are we like Judas ready to betray Jesus if it suits our other plans or if he has failed to live up to our expectations? Or are we willing to keep watch with him? Would we keep watch with him and share his anguish? Because that is not just an experience for Jesus' disciples in Gethsemane. That is where the church is called to be and called to live. We are called to live in the middle of this great scene surrounded by confusion, false loyalty, direct attack, traitor's kisses, and so on. It's the world in which we have to follow Jesus. It's the world in which... Ministry has to be done. It's it's the world in which obedience has to take place. And just like Jesus in Gethsemane, we need God's help to do so. Just like Jesus in Gethsemane, the issues and the struggles and the challenges will be there. And because they're there, we need to be able to bring them to God honestly and openly. And we also need to stay in the presence of God until we receive His help and His blessing. Those who name the name of Christ must, as it were, stay in the garden with Jesus until the Father's will is done. Is that how we pray? Not just bless this, bless that, do the next thing. But that place where we're bringing together the love of God, the reality of the gospel, and and the stuff of life. Sometimes they mesh together in ways that are straightforward and simple and exciting and wonderful. But a lot of the time, they come together in ways that question, that challenge. And if faith means anything, it has to mean something in each and in all of these circumstances. Jesus did not say to us, did not promise any of us, that will not happen. Rather, what he gives us here is a good example of what we need to do with our struggles and our hurts. An example of prayer and waiting, an example of having folks with us, and an example of ultimately saying, you will be done. And then backing that up with our lives.